Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 123 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to apologize if my voice sounds a little bit off. I got hit with, uh, unfortunately, got hit with a bit of a sore throat uh, today, so I've been just drinking a lot of hot water uh, with some turmeric, some, you know, some honey, um, you know, drinking some soup, uh, just drinking a lot of hot water to hopefully get this sore throat out of the way sooner than later. So apologize if uh, my voice sounds a little down today. That's uh, that's why it's happening. Got hit with a sore throat. But as we mentioned in the last episode, we had talked about Cristiano Ronaldo, but we didn't recap a lot of the other transfers that happened around Europe because we actually recorded that a day before the transfer deadline day um, officially ended. So now coming into this next week, now that we're in the final week of international break and heading into a return of club action, we wanted to round up some of the bigger transfers that happened during the deadline day, some that have gotten unnoticed or some that we have noticed that kind of stick out to us. So to start it off, we wanted to kick it with Arsenal um, and they made another signing. Um, now have the most, they spent the most money this summer or have spent the most money this summer from across all Premier League clubs. Um, with the signing of Takahiro Tomiyasu, who is a Japanese defender that can is a pretty versatile defender, can play right back and center back. Um, and he came in um, on transfer deadline day. And they also made another move to loan um, one of their more staple players that have been there for a very long time. It is Hector Bellerin, the right back. He has been loaned out to La Liga, not back to Barcelona, but loaned out to Real Batiste. And I believe it's an obligation to buy. So... It's looking like Hector Bellerin's days um, at Arsenal. Um, this looks like this were his last couple months at Arsenal. Um, but yeah, Arsenal spa- splashing the cash on yet another defender. They've signed, I believe, three defenders this window, um, not including Aaron Ramsdale, the goalkeeper, which you could throw in as a number four, as like another another you know goalkeeper to protect the defense. So you know, Arsenal kind of splashing the cash on defenders. But uh, to be honest, I don't really know too much about Takahiro Tomiyasu. <laughs> All I know about him is that for my take on him, I thought this was a really good buy for Arsenal just because he's also part of that whole scheme that Arsenal going forward. They're buying a lot of 23-year-old and under kind of prospects to hopefully build for the future. But I feel like Takiro Tomoyasu, he's one of those kind of hidden gems. He is basically two-footed. He has a lot bigger pace than you expect from someone of like his stature. He's like above one. <laughs> believe and he's one of like the staples of Bologna in the Serie A so kind of mm-hmm. bring him in it's going to be pretty interesting because he's going to be very versatile playing right back playing center back he can play either and this I feel like is like the Takumi Minamino but of defense <laughs> and I'm like ooh, this one it's gonna be very interesting I feel like I don't I don't want to call it too soon but if they kind of nurture him right that he has the potential to be one of the staples like I usually don't just emphasize the Asian or Japanese players, even though Japan is the national team is one of my favorites. But this is not, this is not like a Yoshida kind of situation for Southampton or like a Hasabe for Frankfurt. Like I think Tomoyasu is literally one of those kind of, you know, hmm, what's the word? It's, it's like a, the staple for like what is to come for what, you want in a center back kind of one that is able to play out of the back with both feet. It's fast enough to kind of keep up with the pace of the wingers now these days. 
and he has the physical traits to basically withstand the Premier League. So hopefully he kind of lives up to the expectations because Arsenal kind of putting all their eggs into this basket of getting only players that are just prospects for the future. And, you know, their director, like Adu, was in an interview and he was basically kind of defending all of his transfers. He's like, all right, I know we spent a ton of money, but and it the results aren't really showing right now. <laughs> but, you know, we got to wait till all these players are on a team together and playing and it'll take a few years. And then like the interviewer was like, you don't really have a few years in football. Like it's you got to get results now. He's like, I know, but this is the best move and this is our project. And I don't know what they said to Stan Kroenke to get this plan kind of like pushed out. But I mean, for Arsenal fans, it's pretty much just sadness and darkness for like the next <laughs> few seasons because they don't really have that many players that they brought in as kind of immediate kind of boost to the team. Like, sure, they still have their veterans like Lacazette, Aubameyang, Leno. And I guess if Xhaka <laughs> doesn't get a red card, he's still in there. But <laughs> it's it's basically kind of slowly pushing out those last veterans and kind of like milking the blast of them and hopefully getting enough to get into Europa League, get into any kind of European competition with them as is. And then hopefully everyone else that pans out for the future, you know, this whole big bet kind of works out. But mm-hmm. this is a big risk. Yes. Do you feel like <laughs> the players, do you, do you, is there any player besides like, you know, Sako or Emil Smith Rowe that you think brought in from this past transfer window is going to help with like any success within the next, maybe like three, four seasons? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Um, because like you mentioned, all these players, a lot of the players they assigned are a lot of project based players where they're basically going to go under the tutelage of, uh, Mikel Arteta, and they're basically going to be training them up to b- potentially be world-class or potentially be really, really solid players in the Premier League. But I think if I looked at their signings, probably um, one of the few that I think could make an immediate impact is probably Odegaard. I think he's probably the closest one to um, essentially being an instant impact because he has played at a high level consistently before, and he was at Arsenal on loan um, before this. So I feel like he's one because I, I feel like Aaron Ramsdale, he's kind of a work in progress because I think, it, you know, he does have the potential to potentially be better um, than Burnt Leno, but it's going to take a lot of training and a lot of practice to get him used to playing out from the back. Um, I think he's still pretty raw. Um, you know, as we've seen for Ben White, he is still not the finished product. He's going to take a lot of time to develop. Um you mentioned that Tomoyasu was a kind of a staple defender for Bologna. Uh, you know, when a player moves to the Premier League, it obviously there's a little bit of an adjustment period that happens because they have to get used to the physicality, the pace of the game, a lot different from other leagues. I feel like he's going to take some time to develop. Um, I believe Lokonga, the defender, am I correct? The defender? Lokonga, the defender? Or he's is like a center midfielder. mid. Yeah. Kind of. From what, I, what I've heard from Arsenal fans, at least on YouTube and such, they said they've been kind of impressed with, you know, the how well he's performed, given that it's still like three games into the season. He's kind of been one of the few bright spots of the team. But it's, it's a bit tough. Um, if you can kind of tell from the list I listed out, it's essentially there are a lot of these guys are project players and they're basically hoping that they develop into stars. And, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of luck into hoping these players turn out because as we've seen, 
in soccer, um, the chances of a player really turning and panning out to his full potential, it's not very, it doesn't happen all the time that you see players actually live up to their potential. A lot of times you get a lot of flops before you get a lot of hits. Mm-hmm. And honestly, just straight off the bat, I'm just going to say, I don't really have too much faith in Aaron Ramsdale. And mm-hmm. that transfer itself, like the goalie, it was just so bizarre because Bert Leno, he's he's not going that soon. And to have that much transfer, like to transfer that much. I think it was like 40 into, mil. Yeah, it was like 40 mil. I think, like, I, I think from what I was reading and like watching on YouTube videos, they see Ramsdale being the future number one in the coming years because he's a lot younger than Bert Leno. And Bert Leno... Yeah, he can be solid at times, but I think a lot of Arsenal fans are kind of upset with his performances. They think he's, you know, can be mistake prone. He's not the best playing out from the back. And given his age, he's kind of, kind of, what am I trying to say? He's kind of stuck in his own ways where he, it's going to be hard for him to change a lot of his bad habits. But, um, excuse me, with Ramsdale, they feel like they can develop him and mold him into one of those keepers that can play out from the back given his young age and such. So um, that could be a thing, but it's, like you said, it's very, it's going to take a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, just double check too. It's $31 million for Aaron Ramsdale. And I just feel like of the teams he's been on, <laughs> he's helped yeah, to like two teams myth. get relegated at this point. Yeah, Bournemouth, I'm Sheffield. Like, man, his resume is not great. And yeah. just every time I've seen him, it's just the eye <laughs> test. Whenever you just watch someone just lie, it just, it just, it's just not there like he's <laughs> gonna be a good backup i feel like but i feel like his ceiling is kind of stuck there as of right now because mm-hmm. just besides age that's literally all everyone can really talk about like in my opinion every time i hear about him it's just it's sometimes just he has age. some good reflexes but like other times it's just like oh he's young he'll develop i'm like i don't know you need more than you need some more flashes than that like he's still yeah. pretty far from <laughs> being able to start for in my opinion, even like a Premier League team, because clearly the last two seasons, it has not been working. And mm-hmm. now he's on Arsenal. I'm like, mate. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you mean, I agree with you. I think uh, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are left questioning some of these deals because even though they want to have a good team for the future, they also want to be in a position where they can win some games now. Um, and I think Arsenal fans are also looking at across Europe, some of the other bigger teams that they're quote-unquote competing with, it's kind of shocking that they're the highest net spenders, I believe, or highest spenders across Europe this entire summer transfer window when you see the likes of PSG signing Donnarumma, Wijnaldum, Messi, uh, Hakimi all in one transfer window, Manchester United getting Sancho, Varane, and Cristiano Ronaldo in one transfer window, Man City getting Jack Relish. Um you know, you've seen Tottenham make a couple splashes. Uh, you know, you've seen teams go out and sign some major key world-class players that can make an immediate difference for their team. And obviously Arsenal, you know, not being in the Champions League and the way they've been run recently, don't really put themselves in position to attract these players in terms of their on-the-field quality. But, you know, for Arsenal fans, it's a. I guess a lot of them are frustrated at the fact that they're spending close to upwards of fifty million for Ben White, spending a lot of money on uh, these other project player guys. When you're seeing other clubs sign world class players for even less of a fee than they signed for Ben White, so it's uh, it kind of leaves a lot of Arsenal fans puzzling. But unfortunately, like I said before, 
when the club is in this type of situation, their hand in terms of where they can kind of get players, it's reduced. And whenever they find a player they like, that club is going to charge a very high tax on it. So they're just in this position where right now they're bad. And because they're bad right now, they need to overpay for players. But once they kind of get back to being back to what Arsenal is, I think they can start getting some of these world-class players on better fees. And that's the hope. <laughs> yeah, that is the that's hope. That's essentially the hope. Because <laughs> right now they're digging themselves in a pretty <clears throat> Pretty deep hole, so mm-hmm. hopefully this ladder of players is going to help him out. Yeah, <laughs> bring him and back what, to the promised land, a fourth place. And we mentioned him before, but I'll, I'll quickly mention him, Hector Bellerin. Um, at his age, I believe he's twenty six now. Gosh, if you would have told me like five or six years ago when he was bursting on the scene for Arsenal in that twenty fourteen fifteen season and the fifteen sixteen season, I think anyone could have told you like you know we thought this guy could have been one of the best right backs in Europe by this age. You know, after a couple like five seasons, we definitely every, pretty much everyone at that time thought this guy could be one of the top right backs of Europe. But unfortunately, just it just hasn't panned out that way. The injuries have caught up to him. He doesn't have that same burst of pace that he used to have when he was younger. Um, obviously, hurting his knee—that's a big, big reason why. Um, you know, this guy at one point was thought Barcelona were interested in bringing him back like a couple seasons back. You know, a couple seasons ago, um, but I'm. I'm hoping that hopefully Bellerin being back in La Liga, being back in his home country in Spain, hopefully he can kind of recapture some of that old form and some of that old magic he had because when he was uh, performing well at a right back, he was, he was pretty solid and really fun to watch. So hopefully um, we'll see some of his best stuff being back at Spain and being in uh, Real Betis. So I wish him I wish him good luck because it, it'll be cool to see, um, you know, kind of prime Bellerin back again. Mm-hmm. I miss Bellerin. He's one of my kind of right backs that I always had as like a kind of cornerstone in FIFA. <laughs> yeah, he used to have so and, much pace, almost like 89 yeah. pace, and now it's, I think he only has like 80 or 81 at this point. He's just gone maxed out at certain points. It's like 90, like upper 90s, mm-hmm. like 95, something like that. But he's also a very well-spoken, surprisingly. Like his, he has like a British-Spanish accent. Spanish. It, was, yeah. it was kind of bizarre to hear, but even hearing like his own podcast as well, <laughs> It was, he's just one of those players I feel like it's just good to have around, mm-hmm. at least in the Premier League, because at least we get to get to watch him. But hopefully this loan to Real Batiste will kind of jumpstart his career once again. But we'll see. Polo's second favorite team, our <laughs> good friend listener, Polo. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. But uh, moving on to Brighton, who have signed uh, a FIFA 21 foot future star, uh, Mark Cucurella. Um, They signed him from Getafe. Kind of caught a lot of people by surprise, at least for me. And Tyler, um, you know, this guy, I haven't watched too much of him in La Liga. The only reason I know of him is because of FIFA um, and because of that that, that foot future future star card. But uh, Brighton have a couple of these players that they are young that could make a big, that could potentially become really classy players that other big clubs could come in for a bigger price. So um, Brighton have a good one. So hopefully, I don't know too much about Cucurella, but hopefully he can, uh, you know, live up to some of that potential and start delivering in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the same boat as Yash. Like I literally only know Cucurella and that we put him on the list just because he has all this potential according to the data from EA. So he should be doing a lot because I feel like this is the equivalent of having a big fish in a small pond. Like all, mm-hmm. all respect to Brian, but I feel like Cucurella, if he had all this potential and had all this, all these lights kind of shining on him, 
to pick Brighton, like a team that typically has to fight against relegation, a team that's not really that well known outside of the Premier League. If you were to walk down the street and ask someone if they knew about Brighton Hub Albion, they'd probably be like, huh? <laughs> they probably even like, you know, friends of ours that maybe watch the Premier League here or there, they probably even wouldn't even recognize Brighton either. It's just kind of like yeah. a more recent team in the past couple seasons. And even then, we never know when they're going to still be here. Because I think even <laughs> you mentioned that they might get relegated in your prediction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I mean they're, they've been flirting with relegation the past couple seasons. They've like slowly exactly. edged out of the relegation battle. So it's uh, almost like a Shakiri-esque move, like someone that has a lot of potential, but going to a club that kind of struggles to stay in the Premier League. When That's Shikiri a really good Stoke. analogy. Yeah, Shakiri at Stoke City. Like, this is basically <laughs> the equivalent. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he just really likes Brighton. Maybe he's a Brighton fan or just really likes yeah. the south of England. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Um, moving on to Chelsea. Chelsea made a big splash in the transfer deadline day. They got another big name European star to come to the club. They got Saul um, from Atletico Madrid joining on loan. And I believe it's a loan obligation to buy. Um, so he will be permanently a Chelsea player um, after this season. But that's a huge coup for um, for Chelsea. I know Saul, he's been a very solid player for Atletico Madrid. I know a couple seasons ago when he first burst on the scene, that's when his stock was the hottest, when almost every club was looking after him. But like the fee would have been upwards of 100 mil. But I believe his contract was running out with Atletico and he told the board that he wanted to, he wanted to have a new challenge and wanted to leave. It looked like Barcelona... Could have been in for him. I believe like Liverpool, Manchester United were interested in him. But it always seemed like Chelsea were like the heavy favorites to sign him or to get him on loan. And they secured the deal. And I think this is huge for them because I've always talked about it before. I know Jorginho won UEFA Player of the Year um, for his performances in the Euros for Chelsea as well. But I always felt like with Chelsea, they have a good, solid defense. They have a good, solid attack. But I always felt like the midfield, apart from Kante... Uh, you know, the person beside Conte, I felt like could be a little bit better. I know Jorginho and Kovacic can be classy at times, but I feel like sometimes they have a potential of getting outran just when Conte's there by himself. But I feel like Saul adds that little bit of something that Chelsea are missing in the midfield. Um, and I, I, you know, it just makes Chelsea even bigger uh, title favorites because they signed one of the best strikers in Europe with Lukaku. And now they have a solid midfielder in Saul. Um, so, Chelsea just got stronger in the transfer window. So it's kind of a kind of a big signing, but it kind of went under the radar due to like how crazy this entire transfer window was. It was pretty surprising too, because I feel like Chelsea, although like you just mentioned, is like kind of that center mid position is kind of like their weakest in terms of depth. Mm-hmm. It was kind of surprising that Chelsea even went out and you know what? They're just going to add more depth to the team overall because I feel like they could have stacked in terms of formation, just put more attackers up front and then kind of <laughs> made the, the middle bit of the team, the middle bit of the formation a little bit more thinner and just, you know, just relied on Jorginho and Conte just to hold down the fort and then Kovacic mm-hmm. here and there just rotate in and out. But now with Saul, he is, as you said, like a very solid, like that's all I can really think about it. Just he's a really solid player. And like what I mean by that is just, in terms of just passing, kind of moving the tempo of the, the game, he's mm-hmm. very similar to Jorginho, except I feel like he can run a little bit more. Yeah. Not that much faster, 
But he actually gets a goal here or there instead of just from straight up penalty like Jorginho would. <laughs> and I feel like his attacking prowess, like he kind of sneaks in as a like a mm-hmm. playmaker as well. So yeah. I don't really see him as much as like a bruiser kind of player, like one of those straight CDMs or yeah, you know, a player that will win the ball back. It's more of a player who will take the ball from midfield and then help kind of be the key passer to one of the attackers up top or maybe make something himself. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a very unique kind of player. I don't like it kind of similar to like Iniesta, I would say, in terms of what he contributes to the team. But, you know, Iniesta is literally a legend and he <laughs> has his own kind of techers and yeah. kind of ball control that Seoul's not really close to. But in yeah. terms of just what he brings to the team, I feel like it's kind of similar where it's just like, mm-hmm. it's just a solid player all around just to slap into the team and he's will contribute and make some key passes and create some chances. So yeah, I'm kind of upset. Like now Kepa has a friend on the team <laughs> and I'm like, man, that Saul would have been pretty good at Liverpool. But I mean, then again, yeah. we have Thiago on the bench. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> man, yeah, I feel like Liverpool, like really their midfield one. is like out of all positions, their midfield is like stacked with like, yeah. players. <laughs> I'm just being greedy. Yeah, but, but I think Saul. Whenever I think of him, I just think of that goal he scored for scored against Bayern Munich, I believe, in 2015-16, the Champions League. Um, yeah, I, I think like that many, but, stage. Yeah, uh, but I just remember that he, goal he from him. Clutch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a big signing for Chelsea to get him on loan. But Leeds United, they finally signed their man Dan James. Um, if any of you have seen that YouTube clip from Amazon about. Um, when Amazon did a documentary on Leeds United, um, the summer before he joined Manchester United in the January transfer window, he was actually supposed to join Leeds. Swansea and Leeds had struck a deal, but unfortunately it just fell through at the end. And Dan James basically made his way to Leeds, the training center, signed, basically signed almost everything he needed to sign, took his pictures and everything, but the deal fell through at the end and he had to go back to Swansea. Um, and then obviously Manchester United came in and bought him. But uh, yeah, I believe... Manchester United got around 25 mil for Dan James, which is pretty impressive because I believe we only paid like 15 to 20 mil for him from Swansea City. And um, I don't know, depending on which United fan you ask, you get a lot of mixed messages in terms of his time at Manchester United. But I, for one, will miss Dan James because even though I have been frustrated with him in the past, you can go back and listen to old podcast episodes. I've always been a fan of his because I always said that his work rate and his intensity in terms of always tracking back, always willing to do the dirty work, always willing willing to put a shift in. You know, I know a lot of people can kind of be like, oh, you know, any player can any player should be able to do that. You shouldn't like that just because you do that doesn't mean you should be playing on the team. But I'm I for one really value that because I think every team always has to have that that kind of that dirty worker that will just kind of go in and do the dirty work when no one else wants to. And I feel like with a team of like the attacking talent that Manchester United have, there are going to be some people that are not going to track back all the time. And Daniel James was always going to be that guy. And he was pretty pivotal during Solskjaer's first full season at the club um, before Bruno Fernandes came in um, when it was just him, Rashford and Martial basically being the front three at United. He was pretty pivotal and provided some, pivotal assist for Marcus Rashford, whether that be crossing in balls from the right wing. Um, he kind of blew up a little bit in the, in his first three games at Manchester United and kind of cooled off after that. But he did provide, um, even though his final product may have not been the best, but he did provide a lot of in terms of the engine room of always tracking back, winning balls back, you know, tracking runners, making the runs um, and basically running 
Um, cause he had an unlimited engine. It almost felt like, so I, for one will miss Dan James, but I'm happy that he'll be in a system in a place where they value him in a place. And honestly, a system that's kind of tailor made for him, uh, you know, essentially Marcel uh, Bielsa's system, which is tracking players, one V one running consistently, you know, creating tons of chances. So I think Dan James will thrive at Leeds. It's sad to see him go, but I think it's, it was probably the right time for him for him to go. But I, I for one, will be watching him and be cheering for him, um, you know, for the rest of his career. Yep. I mean, obviously for us, it's just like, at least for me, I'd be like, man, it wouldn't be such a bad gig to, you know, just be a bench player for Man U, <laughs> you know, get a front row seat every every weekend. But, you know, for him, he's kind of like in his prime and he's basically coming off like a pretty big resume builder. It's like, yeah, I played for Manchester United and now He's going to be the main right winger, I believe. But I mean, yeah, I'm kind of thinking at the same time, Leeds United kind of stacked in that kind of right wing area now because Rafinha, well, that's one of their star players. That's yeah. basically where he sits. So I'm like, and, do they put two? And I will say that Dan James, he did play um, a lot of left. He played primarily as a left winger with Swansea City. But obviously when he came in, he wasn't going to take Rashford's spot on the left wing. So he was kind of forced to be that right winger. Um but we've seen that Dan James is very heavily right-footed. And when he's on the left wing, he has that ability to cut in on his right foot and basically like bang shots in into the, like the top corner or like finesse them into the top corner. So I think we might see him play, like get back to his like primary position, which is the left wing. And maybe that might increase his like uh, productivity in terms of the final third. He's going to be like the Welsh Aaron Robin then is what I'm <laughs> yes, hearing. Yes, sir. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what he's going to be. Because that's all he can do. Yes, sir. But, that's that's it. As soon as he I figure mean, out that hope. he can just be on his right foot, um, it's game <laughs> over. But yeah, I'm, I am I know there were, like I said before, I think there was a mixture of responses. I feel like he was unfairly treated at times for Manchester United fans because I think there was too much um, expectation thrown on him, especially considering that he was from the championship. We literally signed him for 15, 20 million, but I, I think just because he was Welsh and the fact that United were struggling a lot during that time, people thought that he was going to be the next coming of Ryan Giggs or something like that. But I, I think some people, you know, the people that had their expectations um, too high were obviously disappointed. But people like me and other, you know, fair, fair leveled United fans were just like, OK, he's from the championship. You can't really expect him to be the next world class like Gareth Bale or something. You know, this is his ceiling and he's doing the best he can. And the best you can do is just cheer for him. So I'm, I'm happy that he's at a, at a new club and hopefully he can get a fresh start now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always something that we've kind of mentioned with Dan James. It's just like he kind of worked his butt off and now he's getting that chance. But sometimes <laughs> that ceiling, once you hit it, is like you kind of know. And also when Ronaldo kind of hops into the team, can't <clears> really yeah, do anything like, about that. It's just like, yeah, you know what? Lee's is not a second. It's not a bad second choice. Yeah, so you can get some game time and such. So, yeah, sad to see Dan James go, but I'm really I'm going to be cheering for him on the uh, on the other side and hopefully hoping for the best for him and his Leeds United career. But Leicester City um, signing another person back into the Premier League. Adamola Lookman is now returning back again, once again on loan. Actually, um, he was on loan from uh, RB Leipzig. Uh, Fulham loaned him in. Obviously, got relegated, but now Leicester have signed him. So Leicester have kind of made some. Decent signings in the attacking front, signing Daka and then now signing uh, Lookman. Um, so it's trying to strengthen their forward lineup a little bit because with Jamie Vardy obviously not getting any younger, they need to start looking into the future. So I think they're making some decent moves and not to mention that they're going to pair up 
with Kalichi Iannaccio. So they're uh, they're making some solid moves up top. Brendan Rodgers. A lot is. of pace. Yeah, just pure pace right here. I don't, I don't know. I'm a lookman. Literally, I believe he was from Fulham, Everton, and now he's now here. He's like that one kid who just kind of shows up to games using everyone, like using like a different person's ID every time. It's just like, man, he's finding his way back every time. But I feel he was like the same one that did the Panenka, right? And the missed. Yeah, he was the one who <laughs> soiled a Panenka for Fulham and helped him <laughs> in the relegation as well. So hopefully he's learned from that. And hopefully this is going to be a good kind of building block for Leicester because <laughs> I feel like Leicester, if there's a team for a young player to go to, if you still consider Lookman relatively young yeah. to develop, I feel like it's it would be team. Leicester. Yeah. Like Leicester is a really good team with Brendan Rodgers and just the atmosphere and culture there to develop into the highest potential you can be based mm-hmm. on what we've seen from the previous seasons. So, I mean, we'll see what Lookman does and see if he gets any playing time. <laughs> over Harvey Barnes or anything like that. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, this is going to be a very interesting one. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. all we can really say for Lookman. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I guess moving on to Norwich City, uh, they made some signings that Tyler and I will be familiar with. First, we'll start with Brandon Williams. He was loaned. Um, Manchester United have loaned out Brandon Williams to Norwich City. Um, it, Brandon Williams' hype train has definitely fallen off because – Two seasons ago, it seemed like he was looking like he could take Luke Shaw's spot as the starting left back. But obviously, as we know, Luke Shaw transformed himself into probably one of the best left backs in Europe at this point. Um, one of the star performers at Euro 2020. So it looked like that Brandon Williams really was not going to get a shot at left back um, at Manchester United and get consistent playing time. So... Now that he's out of the picture, he's now loaned out to Norwich City. And now they've also loaned in another defender that was at Liverpool. As uh, Tyler said, that moves like a brick wall or like a turtle um, or the agility of a turtle is Ozan Kabak um, now on loan for Norwich City. So this one's going to be a little interesting because, as we mentioned, he was not the best defender at Liverpool. And Liverpool obviously decided not to um, buy him. But I don't know, man. Norwich a team that's constantly going to be on the back foot a lot of times during some of these big games. I don't know if you want someone that can only turn like a turtle to be on your uh, center backs, to be one of your center backs. I, I honestly do feel bad for Kabak because he kind of <laughs> went from one dumpster fire of Schalke to another dumpster fire, which is Norwich. But, you mm-hmm. know, he's usually good spirited. Like when he was loaned to Norwich, even the Liverpool main account was just like, good luck, mate. And he's like, thank you. <laughs> he's just like, I got this. So, I mean, like, it's still good spirits and good relationship with Liverpool. But it's just like, yeah, kind of Norwich might be a, a decent one for you, Kavak. <laughs> it might be a right fit. But at the same time, it's going to be a pretty big struggle if your main starting center back, if Kavak does start, is, you know, him and then Brandon Williams. So, you know, mm-hmm. these are both kind of like backup players, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, not to mention Norwich have like pretty decent fullbacks already with like Max Aarons and such. So it's uh they didn't really need Brandon Williams. It was kind of just like an added on luxury type thing mm-hmm. for Norwich. I mean, for them, anything that'll help them <laughs> stay not get relegated as heavily is <laughs> guaranteed relegation. It's just it's their culture. They just yeah. come in, say hi, and then just walk out. It's like that <laughs> Simpsons meme. Yeah. The old man cool. walking in the restaurant, just turning around. That's Norwich. Yep. That is Norwich. Uh, quickly, I, we're skipping over one team, but going to Watford real quickly. Um, one thing that did happen was Troy Deeney leaving to Birmingham City. Obviously, Troy Deeney is a club legend. Basically been with them through like 
literally everything you can think of. Scored that famous goal, I believe, in the... I think it was in League 2 or League 1 against Leicester City that got them into the championship. Um, that really famous goal that you'll see on YouTube, that was probably one of the craziest six minutes of soccer ever. Mm-hmm. Has been you know, a club legend, captain, done everything at the club, been there when they've been relegated, been there when they've been promoted, has been a staple for them, is now leaving. Kind of sad times. I know they made like a, a pretty emotional video on social media about it, but um, moving on from Troy Deeney, you know, Will he be missed? He definitely did provide a little bit of something in the Premier League, but obviously at his age, his time definitely did come in terms of performing at a super high level for Watford. So I think they made the right decision, but it is sad when you see a club legend kind of go like that, especially if you're a supporter of the club. He really is like one of those staples and also just one of those leaders that's been there for a long time. And I feel like he has like that Vincent company kind of era and like, feel to that Watford locker room where mm-hmm. kind of he boosts everyone else around him even when he doesn't mm-hmm. play or when he does <laughs> soldier onto the field he kind of keeps everyone accountable because I mean he's he's kind of a scary man you know he's yeah. kind of had a bit of a dark past that we're not going to get too much into but like he's kind of rebounded from that and now he's like making it big at mm-hmm. Watford but you know he is kind of getting older going to Birmingham City so yeah you know best of luck to Troy Deeney but not going to lie, this is kind of a big hit for Watford in terms of their survival chances because he was one of those staples when the manager goes, when the fourth manager of the season comes in, at least <laughs> Chordini's still there to keep yeah, everything. He's going to take their pen- penalties, man. Chordini was a penalty taker. <laughs> <laughs> just smashes it. Literally, no finesse, just like hits it straight down the middle with a, like so much pace. Yeah, you don't want to stand in front of that. It's a broken hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But... Um, I guess moving up to Tottenham real quickly, they have made they made some decent moves in the transfer deadline day or the week of. Um, they actually released Serge Aurier. Um, kind of a you know crazy one because I remember when they did sign him, we thought like okay, this guy could be decent signing him from PSG, but never lived up to that that potential or like living living up to that ability to be a, a consistent starter for them was kind of a mistake a mistake prone right back. Um, but they did sign Emerson Royale from. Uh, Barcelona, Barcelona, a fullback for them. So we'll see if he can get on and be be actually anything decent. Didn't really play that much. Or I don't think he played at all for Barcelona, um, even though this season they said that he was going to, but then they ended up selling him t- towards the end of the transfer window. And they did sign a youth player or a youngish player, um, Pape Sar from Mets, um, but they have loaned him back out for the rest of the season. So we won't be able to see uh, what he'll be like. But yeah, Tottenham made some some moves. I'll be excited to see how Emerson Royal kind of kicks in because uh, Serge Aurier was definitely not the guy at right back for them. Serge Aurier is very much a wild card kind of player where he had a <laughs> lot of potential. I was even surprised when he went to Tottenham first because when he kind of broke out on the scene during the World Cup, I believe, for Corte Bois, like he was, he had, he showed a lot of glimpses. He's, he was able to send in that like Trent Alexander Arnold S cross to set up a lot of chances for like Drogba and the rest of the team during that competition and his potential playing at right back just as a defender itself as well was basically up there. It's like, man, this could be one of those, he has the potential to be like one of those top five, but he never lived up to it. Like I feel like his behavior and his temper kind of got the best of him at times too. gets those silly red cards, kind of like Jaka at times. But I mean, I feel like it's just his demeanor and his kind of attitude was kind of like his downfall when he had the potential, but it's just now he's literally a free agent. No one, no one picked him up. So <laughs> no one that's wants insane. Him, what a fall from grace. 
I know. I know. And he occasionally could score some bangers uh, at the right back position coming in from the box, but he was very much a liability when it came to the defensive side. He was kind of, as Tyler mentioned, a wild card. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if anyone actually picks him up. But I think Tottenham made the right decision of moving on from him. But moving Mm -hmm. on to uh, West Ham United, they signed Kurt Zuma. Um, He is now officially a West Ham United player. I'm kind of excited for this move. I think that is a very solid signing for them because Kurt Zuma, um, even though Chelsea, obviously under Tuchel, they didn't rate him as much as, you know, Frank Lampard did. I think Kurt Zuma is a pretty solid center back. And for West Ham, I think he kind of fits the mold perfectly for them. And they also went out and signed Nikolo Vlasic. And I don't know if this is like part of David Moyes and West Ham United's transfer strategy now, but I feel like they're just like slowly creeping into like signing basically all the Serbian, Croatian um, players because now they have uh, they, they have so many now. I feel I, I I don't know. I mean, they they just go out and sign all these guys. Um, I like the all the players that they have currently have are kind of blinking with me, but it kind of fits the mold of what West Ham United have been doing recently in the transfer market these past couple of seasons. Finding these guys to basically be there um, instead of signing the has beens or could have been stars of the past. Yeah, I was gonna say like Suchek kind of giving David Moyes some inner yeah <laughs> some inner talks. It's like hey, hey, word on the street is <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I was gonna say I put on the squad. They have Sufa, you know, Suchek. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just all just coming in and grabbing all those players. And these are like the hidden gems that no one's really ever heard of. And then mm-hmm. now they're just kind of booming at West Ham. So for all we know, Vlasic might be one of them. But Kurt Zuma, I think that's a really good transfer as well. It's one of those players that it's kind of fringe in terms of reaching potential because he does start he did start occasionally for Chelsea and but it's just it was he was never like the first pick eventually like it was always someone else beating him out so mm-hmm. you know West Ham I feel like they got a pretty good solid yeah. center back there that's you I mean you know what we're gonna get from Kurzuma and we've seen him in those high pressure situations kind of come through especially in like Champions League so I think this as well with the fact that they're still keeping the core of like, you know, Mikel Antonio and then Ben Rama, all of them without mm-hmm. Messi Lingard as well. Like they still basically kept the yeah, core. And four like that's, Declan Rice. Mm-hmm. So if they anything, they kind of like reloaded. Yeah. And these are kind of more depth. I'm not sure if Zuma's going to get the start, maybe over Craig Dawson eventually, because Dawson's <laughs> kind of shown glimpses old. of meh. Yeah, old. <laughs> so I think it'll be good. Imagine Ogbana, Zuma. It's pretty solid. Yeah. And not to mention, they also have uh, Issa Diop, I believe, still. And, you know, he's mm-hmm. relatively young. I know he's getting like he's not still not the young player that they he once was when they signed him. But you never know. He could uh, he he does show glimpses and such where he can come in. But Zuma definitely does add much needed uh, backup in that center back position because, uh, you know, team like West Ham, you can never go wrong with some backup and some mm-hmm. depth. More but, depth. Uh, yeah, more depth. But Wolves, um, last team here in terms of rounding up transfers. Wolves have uh, they made some they made some uh, made another signing. I I was pretty shocked by this one because I was watching the Manchester United Wolves game and they showed a video of Huang Gi Chan in the stands. I was like, what? Why are they showing him in the stands? Like, why is he there? And then oh, I didn't realize that they literally announced him before that game and they announced him as a Wolves player um, before the game and he was out in the stand out on the field and everything. But, uh, yeah, they signed him on loan from RB Leipzig. 
Um, as Tyler put, zero goals in 20 Bundesliga appearances. But if you have played FIFA or you know anything about him, he's very fast. And it basically adds depth for Raul Jimenez, but it also adds a lot of scary pace if you play for Wolves, um, if you play against Wolves, but also if you use Wolves in FIFA. Because now they have Adama Traore, Juan Chen, Daniel Porenz, Pedro Neto. And if you know anything about their FIFA stats, those guys are pacey beyond pace. They just have pace for days, so... Wolves are going to be a scary team to play play as in Wolves um, in FIFA. I feel like Wolves will be that team if you're having a FIFA party and you pick them, like everyone's going to brush you off because probably everyone you play with is going to be pick, picking PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United. And you're going to be like, why are you picking Wolves? And then when you start cooking them like 4-0 in the first half of the uh, of the game, you'll know why because of the pace they have up front. Yeah, you just create that like... 4-2-4 formation, just all four. <laughs> just he's on the top. <laughs> I'm genuinely excited for Huang Yi Chan. He's one of my like favorite up-and-coming players. And when he was at RB Salzburg with Minamino and they faced Liverpool, like they they kind of bounced, like both of them kind of went off. Like Huang Yi Chan and Minamino. And when Minamino went to Liverpool, we were kind of Still figuring out, I was like, all right, which one was like the true beast between the two? Was it Minamino or was it Huang Yi Chan? And when Huang Yi Chan went to RB Leipzig and couldn't score in the Bundesliga, we kind of quickly could tell it was Minamino that was the true <laughs> beast. But I feel like Huang Yi Chan, given that he has the same last name as me, my long lost cousin, I still feel like he has a lot of potential because he has like the physical pace that's kind of like Warner esque, where he's basically, he is the starting striker for the Korean national team and he has mm-hmm. the pedigree from being at Salzburg and you know yeah. doing big things in the Champions League for a team of that like caliber which kind of you would expect a struggle but with him and Minamino in the same system like they managed to bounce off between each other and like Huang Chan got that big move to Leipzig for a reason to take over mm-hmm. for Warner basically but it just hasn't worked out at Leipzig. And I feel like at Wolves, with all the players up top, it might be a little tough to break in. But with the depth hey, that he can he just, bring... He, to maybe he just he, has to be better than Fabio Silva. Yeah, true. He just has to beat out <laughs> Fabio Silva. The big kind of transfer that they picked up last season, that like the I believe he's like 18, 19 years old. Yeah, he and, was so like, expensive. Striker. He's from Porto and just... I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, he's very young, but he just didn't do anything last season. He could not score goals. He just did not live up to the hype. But mm-hmm. Huang Yi Chan, though, he has he has that pace. And if mm-hmm. we rave about anything in terms of the best physical trait to have in a player, <laughs> is pace. So I'm, I'm so excited just to have Huang there because I rarely, really get to see him either. So mm-hmm. having him here in the Premier League, it's going to be exciting. And having him maybe sub out for Raul Jimenez at times. It's going to bring a whole mm-hmm. different dynamic to the front because I will say Trincao coming in yeah. from this season. He's looked pretty he's, solid. He's looked really solid so far. I mean, granted, yeah. some of his finishing is kind of Yeah, sus, no, he's not very I mean, good in front of he's not very good in front of goal. I think yeah, that's been a problem but, with all these forwards. They're very fast, but they're <laughs> when they get in front of goal, they're kind of mad. So you just need product. like a high quantity of chances, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what they do at Wolves. I mean, the <laughs> the results don't really show it. I mean, yeah. or I guess it kind of kind of helps the fact that you yeah. know they can't well, finish. Under, I was going to say but. under their new manager now, Bruno Large, that they've kind of compared to you know Nuno 
the new system they have now is very much attack minded and, you know, going forward and being creative and being um, on the front foot. So they do create a lot more chances now, but it's just the mere fact that they're not finishing them. But if you keep creating chances, you're eventually going to put one of them away. So I think they, mm-hmm. they got a good, but yeah, as Tyler mentioned, I, um, it's going to be exciting to see what Wolves do with all that pace up top and whether we'll see all four of these guys play together at one point. But um, I know we're running in like 43 minutes now, but wanted to move quickly to the, I guess, main topic is the Champions League preview and Europa League preview and Europa Conference League preview for the Premier League teams that are involved in these competitions. Um, obviously, the big boy competition, Champions League, we have Group A, um, Club Bruges, Man City, PSG, and RB Leipzig, which is a pretty you know, not the easiest of groups. It's a pretty tough group, especially if you're Manchester City. Um, but uh, I guess I'll give my prediction real quickly on this one. I think it will end up finishing PSG 1, Man City 2, Leipzig 3, and Club Bruges 4. But I think that I think it honestly could be a toss-up with Leipzig and Bruges because I think Club Bruges, as we saw last season, um, they can provide a little bit of a challenge for these big teams, especially if they're not prepared for them. And RB Leipzig have lost a lot of talent, so it's going to be kind of tough for them. But I for sure think PSG and Man City will make it out to the knockout stage um, because they're just too strong, too strong for these other two teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to completely agree with you, Yes, in terms of <laughs> what's going to happen with those teams coming out. Because the drop-off between Man City and PSG to the next team is so significant. It's like it's not even a competition. RB Leipzig also lost Sabitzer. And yeah. Oh, I was it, uh, yeah. That's they lost Sabitzer. They lost um, they lost Konate, and then they lost Upa Makano, and they lost their head coach. To all and they lost Wong, dude. They lost yeah. Wong Yi Chan. <laughs> they lost everyone. And then Club Bruges, they have the the biggest gem of them all, Simon Mignolet in goal. Like this, <laughs> it might be a shutout. For RB Leipzig against Bruges, so it might be a sneaky third place for Bruges right there. So, oh, this is a this is a tricky one for third because RB lost so many players, as you said. So mm-hmm. you know what? Let's just I'm just I'm gonna switch it just just nice. to change it up. I'll Let's put go. PSG first because of Messi, and then you know Man City second, even though Pep's been there for a while. But you know, as we usually see, it's besides from last season, Man City kind of kind of iffy sometimes in the in the Champions League. But Club mm-hmm. Rouge, I'm going to say third. RB Leipzig, going to be a rough one. I <laughs> see it. All right, all right. That's the prediction for Group A. And then moving on to Group B, which I think pretty much everyone considers the group of death in the Champions League this year. We have Liverpool, AC Milan, Atletico Madrid, and Porto. Really, really tough group. And there's, you know, very big toss-up on how you could rate in terms of who finishes where in this group. But I'll give go ahead and give my predictions. I think um, Atletico are going to be really good this year, but I feel like Liverpool are probably going to have that little bit of an extra edge to kind of make, kind of get some revenge on Atletico, even though Atletico did bring back, um, you know, Antoine Griezmann. They did sign Rodrigo De Paul. They've made some good signings. Luis Suarez is still with them, obviously. Um, he'll be returning to Anfield. I feel like Liverpool will want to get that revenge game back um, on Atletico. So I think that will give them that extra bit of push to finish first in the group. Then obviously I think Atletico um, are the second best team in there. So I'm going to put them at number two. Then from Porto and AC Milan, I feel like that is a big kind of toss up, but I have a feeling with the way AC Milan has been going recently, 
terms of the, what they've been able to do in the city. Ah, I know they lost Donnarumma, which is a big one, and they could lose Kessier um, eventually to a free transfer. One of the, I, I think, after this season, because all the reports are that he's refusing to sign a contract extension. I still feel like they have a decent squad and a pretty good squad already. And the fact they added Olivier Giroud, they have Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming back from injury. I think they're going to finish third. And I think Porto, even though they do show up and be, they're kind of a surprise team every season in the Champions League. I just think this uh, this group will eat them alive and I just don't see them finishing third. So I, I'm going to go for them fourth. Mm-hmm. For me, this group, ooh. I, I like it a lot as a Liverpool fan because every match is going to be very interesting. <laughs> but it's it's a little scary. I'm not going to lie, because yeah. some of these teams, they can sneak some points out of Liverpool. But I think with all these players, as we mentioned in the last episode for Liverpool coming back from injuries and having that depth back for the team, that's going to really help out. Whereas the other teams like AC Milan, Porto, I think the depth is really going to hit them this season, even though there's a lot of times on AC Milan, but he's an old man now. So we'll yeah. see. But. Atletico Madrid, we kind of also mentioned all those players of Griezmann coming back, wearing the number eight. It's kind of weird to see. But <laughs> Guau Felix, we got to see if he's going to step yeah. out this season too because there's there was, I mean, there was video of him apparently basically training as a defender. People were making jokes that um, uh, Simeone is going to turn Joao Felix into a right back one of these days. I mean, against Liverpool, I wouldn't be surprised if they just park the bus because, <laughs> I mean, that's what they do. Atletico Madrid's just going to hold tight. Let's just sit back and just get that 1-1. One, one. Yeah. So I think that first two spots is going to be really close. I think it might even be goal difference, but I'm going to give mm-hmm. the edge to Liverpool getting first, Atletico Madrid getting second. I'll say AC Milan based on their season form last season where they got basically second place in Serie yeah. A. Big surprise jump there is what <clears throat> Arsenal is hoping to do one day. <laughs> I think they're going to get third. And then Porto, I can't even name that many players on Porto right now besides like Pepe. Yeah, I guess so, one player is Luis Diaz. He had a very good Copa America for Colombia, um, but that's essentially it. It's not a lot. Maybe like Joe Corona. <laughs> yeah, Decatito Corona. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's literally it for Porto, at least from our our head and what we can think of. But yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what how Porto kind of do there. But I guess moving on to Group F, um, the, this is Manchester United group. We have Atalanta. Manchester United, Villarreal, and Young Boys. Um, sneaky good group in terms of it's sneaky challenging. I feel like this is not some easy group. Um, it's going to be a pretty challenging group, but I think Manchester United have the best squad from all these teams in this group, so they should finish first. But as we know, Manchester United and Champions League have a tendency to slip up recently, but I still feel like with Ronaldo coming back, with the new players they brought in, with Ferran, I feel like they're going to have a much more of a a better understanding of how to handle these Champions League moments and have a lot more steel behind them than they did last season. So I'm going to go for them to finish first. I actually think between Villarreal, Villarreal and Atalanta, I'm going to roll with Atalanta. I know they are, they've kind of been like that dark horse in the Champions League recently of kind of making these long runs and kind of being the surprise team. I know they've lost a couple of players recently, but I still feel like they're still a solid team and Villarreal, they actually finished seventh place in La Liga last season, and they basically qualified for Champions League because of beating Manchester United in the Europa League. I know they play Emery Ball, um, but I think Manchester United are going to go seek out revenge for them in both ties. So I think 
Villarreal will kind of be out of luck there. And I think Young Boys will finish fourth. So I'm going United first, Atalan second, Villarreal third, and Young Boys fourth. Ronaldo being at Manchester United, that's the big factor I'm kind of putting in there. I think, man, you, <laughs> you're, you're a little scared, but yeah, I feel like with Ronaldo, it's a whole different game. This is his competition. This is his yeah. trophy that he usually typically wins, at least and under I'm, Real Madrid. He has Varane too. Varane has won yeah, this multiple times buddy. as well. Yep. So that, that's adding on to the Manchester United team that did so well in terms of like in terms of it did so well in terms of retaining the good players. Like Pogba's yeah. still there, Rashford will be there eventually. Cavani's mm-hmm. still there. Like literally, the yeah. depth is there, and you still and you just add on top of it. It's like having pancakes, and you added some whipped cream on top. <laughs> and some syrup it's like it's it's gonna be insane so i think man you i think it's gonna be pretty clear for that for the first place but second place atalanta i would i would usually pick atalanta based on the fact they also did finish third in the syria but they lost papu gomez to sevilla and yeah as you said they lost to paul to atletico madrid those two i feel like are pretty much enough to make it a little bit more of a competition between them and villarreal Unai Emery with Villarreal has shown based on the Europa League last season, <laughs> unfortunately for Yush, that in one-off competitions like this, they could show up. But I think just the available talent that's between the two teams, I feel like Atalanta still has a little bit of that edge with Christian Zapata still there at Atalanta. So... I'll, I'll give it to them. I feel like Villarreal, they want to win the Europa League again. It's going to be like a Sevilla type <laughs> situation. And the young boys, they're just happy to be there. <laughs> they're just there. But yeah. you never know. But I, I think it's going to be United, Atalanta, Villarreal, and then young boys as the order. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I I'm hoping I'm hoping that that confidence Tyler has at United kind of comes to me because right now I'm still still a little nervous. You never know. Sometimes with you United, have Ronaldo. You literally have yeah. Ronaldo. <laughs> Hey, I've had, I've been scarred too many times now, so I, I got to keep Man. my guard up. But uh, moving on to Group H, we have the last Premier League team in the Champions League competition. We have Chelsea, Juventus, Malmo, and Zenit. I think it's pretty clear, obvious favorite here. I think Chelsea will easily finish first place here. They have the best squad out of all these teams in that group. I think Juventus will finish second. I know Juventus are struggling right now in the Serie A. Only it's it's been a small sample size, but they lost out. They lost Ronaldo. They're kind of adjusting post-Ronaldo period, but I still think they've got solid players. Um, they've they've got some solid players. Um, they've got some solid players coming in. Um, they've got some solid players coming in. Sorry, I got some weird technical difficulties coming in, but I got some solid players there. Um, and I think Zenit will finish third and Malmo will finish fourth. This group, yeah, just you know, basically you kind of nailed it. Where Chelsea is going to be basically <laughs> run away. Where I don't know Juventus, Dybala is now the, the head honcho now once again. And you know Ronaldo is a little kind of iffy for Dybala, where he kind of played behind him, but he couldn't really get as many goals as he previously did when he was like the main man, weighing that twenty-one on him. So maybe mm-hmm. it could be a rejuvenation for Dybala because low-key one of my favorite players and also had the <laughs> same haircut. But I think. Juventus have also been struggling post Allegri under Pirlo. I didn't, I did not really like Pirlo as a, as a coach. I really like him as a player, but as a coach, it was kind of rough. Yeah. So, not it. I mean, I still think they're kind of recovering from that. So I think it'll be 
kind of like kind of like a rough but they second have, place. They have group. gotten younger though, which is a good thing for them. They did they mm-hmm. have signed a lot more younger players, so they're not they've kind of uh they've I believe there was a stat there that they've changed when they were in Ronaldo last season, they had probably one of the oldest squads in the Champions League, but now they have one of the more youngish squads. Um because if you look at their I guess their depth in terms of like who they have that is young, they have Dybala, they have Chiesa, they have uh Kulusevsky, they have McKinney, they have uh Locatelli. Uh yeah, Locatelli, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh Locatelli, they have Delit. Um you know, they they're they're bringing in some like younger players now and I think that's kind of the right move for them because that squad was getting really old and obviously they still have Bonici, Chiellini, some of those old veteran guards there, but I feel like the way they've been transitioning to a more youngest side, I feel like it will give them a little bit of an edge. Uh, going into the Champions League in terms of just giving them energy to run because <laughs> uh, that team last season, a couple seasons before that, they were just a little too old and couldn't keep up with all the younger teams in the Champions League. That's also true. And I mean, even one of the key players you mentioned, Chiesa, we, he literally tore it up in the Euros this past <laughs> yeah. summer. Like he's <laughs> one of my friend's favorite players now. He's just yeah. insane. So I think having all this like <coughs> potential, like this is the potential that arsenal wish they had so this is like this is on paper like i was almost like guaranteed that they're gonna like become very insane-esque where it's gonna be like the old juve where they're gonna be a little bit more dominant it's gonna be a little bit more clear in the Serie mm-hmm. A in the champions league with if these players kind of fulfill their potential but they're getting close to it yeah meanwhile you know as we kind of mentioned arsenal is kind of still very far back but for juventus they at least brought in the right players the right environment the right system and I think they still got it, but it's still, I feel like transitioning a little bit. So it's not going to be as clear a second as we'd expect, but luckily for them, Zenit, <laughs> I think they have Dejan Lovren. That's like yeah. the key player I can think of for them. And they did pretty well in the Russian league, if I believe, if I remember yeah. correctly, because they had the trophy that I believe Ivanovic dropped. <laughs> yeah. It was made out of entirely out of glass. So <laughs> that's not great. And then Malmo, it's like a young boy situation. They're just they're just happy, happy to, to be, be there. <laughs> they're just happy to be there. Just, exactly. That team from Sweden. It's just exactly. it is what it is. Um, but yeah, that that those are the Champions League groups. Those as we as you could tell, we had a bit of a Premier League bias. Not, uh, I guess we could. I you know I always try to root for the Premier League teams because you know I like to see the Premier League succeed in Europe, but. The Premier League sides are very strong this year, so I think they will make it out of the group stage, and hopefully we'll see all four in the knockout stage um, of this Mm -hmm. year's Champions League. But moving on to the Europa League, we've got two teams on there. Uh, First of all, in Group C, we have Liga Warsaw, Leicester City, Napoli, and Spartak Moscow. Um, I don't know too much about Liga Warsaw, but obviously Spartak Moscow have been a staple in Europe, whether that be in Europa League and Champions League. Napoli, as we all know, I believe coached by... Is it... It's no, it's no longer Sari, right? Yeah, no, it's no longer Sari. Um, or is it? Well, that was Sarri. Gattuso. Yeah. Or he left. He left that He left that position, so now they have a new head coach. Oh, uh, but obviously, Spalletti. Yes, yes. But um, obviously with Napoli, we know about Dries Mertens, Lorenzo Insigne. Like those, have, those guys have been staples for Napoli for a long time. But I feel like this is Leicester City's group to win. I'm not trying to be a Premier League bias here, but... Leicester City, I believe this is now their second season in a row in the Europa League. So they have a little bit of a, more of experience behind them. I feel like Brendan Rodgers should know the ropes now. And 
I feel like, you know, Leicester City should just go for it. See if they can win this competition because they won the FA Cup. They won the Community Shield. They can win these cup competitions. And for a club like Leicester, why not? Just go for it. Try to win this competition. So I'm going to put my eggs into Leicester City's basket. And I think Napoli will finish second. And I'll have a Moscow third and then Warsaw fourth. I completely agree with you because I feel like, I mean, that's something I've been saying a lot this episode. I just completely agree. But I mean, you're kind of nailing it because... <laughs> thinking the exact same things where Leicester when they put their heads to it and kind of commit to one thing like they win the FA Cup they win the Premier League they get promoted I mean they haven't won a European competition yet so I mean this this could be the way to go mm-hmm. Napoli also kind of slipping in terms of like fulfilling the player potentials that they do have because you know of the players you also mentioned they also have Irving Lozano they have OC men they have all these players that have the potential to be great but they just haven't really hit the nail on getting the most out of those players yet. Also, at times due to injury. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Napoli also with that change of managers too. It's just like, man, it's kind of frustrating <laughs> just to see Napoli kind of struggling with that and like not getting challenging for Champions League as like easily as they should be with the players that they have. And Spartak Moscow, they don't really have those kind of key players that you used to see back in the days like those random brazilian players that have all the pace <laughs> and skills that it's like i don't know why they're in moscow but it is what it is <laughs> but i think they're better than legia warsaw for sure <laughs> they're also kind of the team that's just happy to be there so it's gonna be leicester first napoli second spartak third and then legia fourth so i'll go with yeah. that yeah so and then moving on to group H, um, this one I don't even know if I can give like a proper prediction here because I don't know too much about all these teams. But we have Dynamo Zag- Zagreb or Zagreb, um, Genk and Rapid VN and West Ham United. Obviously, uh, Genk and Zagreb have been in the Champions League before, but uh, I will say this: I don't. For West Ham United, I could see it going two ways. I could see them performing decently well in the Europa League, but then their ability to transfer that success into the Premier League will struggle because teams like West Ham and Burnley, teams that have kind of made that big leap for that one season in the Premier League and then get Europe, they've historically struggled in the upcoming season. I know West Ham have been on a hot streak right now, but playing Thursday nights and then playing basically two days afterwards in the Premier League, it's a big toll on the bodies of these players. And, you know, they did sign Kurt Zuma. They did sign Vlasic. They have made a couple signings to increase their depth um, in certain positions. But I could see them going where they dominate the Europa League but then struggle in the Premier League. But I could also see them basically struggling in Europa League and getting adjusted to Europe, but then doing decently well in the Premier League. And I'm kind of leaning towards they might struggle a bit in the Europa League. So I think they will actually potentially sneak in and get second, but I could also see them finishing third in this group. Hmm. Do you think David Moyes, based on his past experience in (laughs) Europe with Man U, is going to help right here? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't (laughs) think it's going to help. But... I think Dynamo Zagreb last season, they actually were kind of sneaky in terms of doing really well in the Europa League. If I remember correctly, this one player that just kind of went off for them, like 99. He had 99 on his, on his back. I can't remember his name. Just kind of escapes me, but Dynamo Zagreb, the Croatian <laughs> team. And then <laughs> and then Gank, the Belgian side, and Rapid Win, I believe, is an Austrian side. Rapid win, I believe, is probably the weakest team of the bunch, just on paper. West Ham, yeah. I feel like should snag second if they can just overtake Genk. Because Genk, yeah. I feel like on paper, is not as stacked in just their depth as West Ham. 
or is experienced. So mm-hmm. I think West Ham going to get a sneaky second. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle given that they don't really have too much experience in there. But, you know, at the same time, it's kind of like that Leicester situation when they first got in the Champions League where they're just on a high in that first <laughs> time they're in. And it might be like that for West Ham. So, I mean, yeah. with all the players that they have, they're still luckily healthy. They have like Ariola to also back up for Fabianski in the mm-hmm. cup competitions. Like they could have it. They could have it like sneakily. They could do it. Yeah, like face for first, but I think at least they'll get second. I think they'll they'll be right behind Zagreb. Yeah, I guess I'm not as high on the West Ham train um, right now, mm-hmm. but Tyler, you're still riding it, so we'll see what happens. And finally, dark horses, man. yeah, dark horses, man. And then finally, the last uh, last Europa Europe competition that's been added newly this season is the Europa Conference League, that obviously features only one Premier League side. And Group A, Group G, um, is Tottenham. Uh, so it's Tottenham, Rennes, Vitesse, and Mura. Obviously, Rennes, they used to have Ed- Eduardo Cam- Camavinga, but now he has moved on to Real Madrid. Um, but I feel like this easily, Tottenham are the best side on this on this group, and they should easily um, get into the knockout stages if they put their heads to it. But whether they do, we'll see in terms of like how much Nuno, um, I guess, values this competition. So we'll see what happens. But I, I definitely think Tottenham regardless, should finish first in this group because they just have way too good of a squad to not. Uh, that kind of keyword is just Nuno's <coughs> emphasis and his priority in terms of this conference league because I believe it plays, as you said, uh, kind of off off camera or like off mic. It was They play on the same night as Europa League. Not many people watch Europa League to begin with. The Europa Conference League is a tier below Europa League. Tottenham <laughs> shouldn't even be there. Like I know, like I believe Roma's in there as well, but Tottenham, it's compared to these three teams within their own conference, within their own group. The drop off in quality on paper as well is just so high. It's just literally the B team of Tottenham should still be competitive with their A teams of the rest of the teams in here with Rennes, Vitesse, and Murrah. I don't even know what Murrah <laughs> is, to be honest. Yeah. And Vitesse, I believe there are times in the Eredivisie for them, they had some good youth players from Chelsea. I feel like that was one of those sneaky youth players, <laughs> sneaky <laughs> kind of teams that they put a lot of their loan players to for some reason, that Chelsea side. But Rennes right now also, as you said, lost Kamavinga, which is one of their key stars. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's Tottenham's to lose. It depends on how much Nuno prioritizes it and who he plays. But I think even with the B team, it should be fine. Like they should mm-hmm. be getting out pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. So we both got Tottenham going through. So that's kind of a, a wrap up of like the uh, European competitions. It was kind of long in that section, but we Premier League was well represented or is well represented in all those leagues because they have literally have a team in all in every one of those uh, competitions. So um, we'll see how the Premier League teams actually actually uh, get going on those uh, in those competitions. But last section, preview section, um, as we mentioned, club competition is coming back uh, this weekend. So we're very excited about that to see the Premier League and all the other leagues kind of get kicked on again. Um, but I'll start this off with Manchester United versus Newcastle. This game is a big one because this should be the debut or should be the return of Cristiano Ronaldo back at Old Trafford. I'm fairly certain that he will start. I know he's training with the Manchester United squad now, but this isn't like Sancho. This isn't Varane. This is Cristiano Ronaldo. I have a feeling that he will start this match. The reception he'll get inside of a packed Old Trafford will be 
ridiculous. It'll be insane. I'm absolutely buzzing to watch this game. It'll be packed. It will be loud. Um, and because of that, and because of the feel good vibes, I feel like United should basically roll through Newcastle and win four nil at home. And Ronaldo will definitely score a goal in this match. That's so freaky. I was going to say four nil as well. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like the hype is just too high, but yeah. maybe I'll have to change it just to keep it different. But I'm I'm anticipating this game too. I'm just like hyped for it. Even as a Liverpool fan, I'm just excited to see how Ronaldo does against a Newcastle side that's going to be <laughs> just covering their bums, just hoping the they're going to lose, which is by how many. And I think maybe the hype might be, it might even put the accountability and the Newcastle players on edge. So maybe they might pull through some six saves here and there. But I mean, I've already seen some of the players on United before Ronaldo even played like De Gea. I feel like he's pulled out some of those insane saves that we used to see back in the days. So it's yeah. just like, how do you what? He's like, use his leg. Just yeah, <laughs> like he, just he's, random he's returning back. He's getting back mm-hmm. to his best, hopefully. And then Mason Greenwood scoring in three games in a row. Yeah. So, I mean, the writing's on the wall for Newcastle. It's just how many they're gonna, <laughs> how many goals are going to concede? And I think it's going to be, I'm going to say 2 now just to kind of change it up. Ooh, but okay. it's going to be for sure win. It's going to be a really yeah. good game. Will Ronaldo score? Do you have Ronaldo scoring? Yeah, I have Ronaldo scoring. Nice, nice. Better. <laughs> so, captain him if you're on your, if you have him on your fantasy Premier League team. That's all we're saying. But, mm-hmm. uh, so we both got big United wins, um, which is fairly obvious scoreline. But um, now moving on to Arsenal Norwich. This is a very important stint of uh, Mikel Arteta's time at Arsenal. I feel like this run in of, you know, winnable games for Arsenal. But the way Arsenal have been playing, the way Norwich have been playing, I feel like this game will actually end up with a 1-1 draw. I think you know, Arsenal finally scored their first goal in the Premier League, but I don't think they're good enough to keep a clean sheet against Norwich. So I'm going 1-1. Dang, this is a legit relegation battle now. (laughs) (laughs) Arsenal versus Norwich. Who would have thought? Not me, but I feel like Arsenal, the burners right (laughs) underneath Edu and Arteta's butts right now. Like, There's no way they can leave this game and get a draw or a a loss. There's like no way they can can accept that. Xhaka, (laughs) I know, won't be at this game, unfortunately for them. But I feel like the rest of the team, they have to step up. It'd be embarrassing if they don't win. I feel like just for the legitimacy and the accountability of the rest of the team, I think they're going to step up and they, they're going to put them away through one. I have, I always have faith in Arsenal. I don't know why, but <laughs> maybe it's just because I have more faith in Arsenal than I do in Norwich. But I, I think it's going to be a 3-1 for Arsenal. Like they have to. Like just, <laughs> they can't drop points. Like, there's just no way. All right. All right. You got a 3-1 win. I, I, I still think that they're going to struggle a bit, so I'm going 1-1 one, one draw. But I like the enthusiasm there. Um, and then finally, I guess you could call this the biggest game of the weekend. We have Leicester City versus Manchester City. Um, Leicester have shown that they can be a thorn in any of the big sixes' sides um, whenever they play up to it and whenever they're on their form. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't think this is the, this is going to be the game. I think Man City are just a tad bit too powerful. I think they're going to be rolling, and I think Man City will win this game two one. Hmm. Man City also already slipped up a little bit this season, and they can't really afford it anymore. Like Pep Guardiola probably is already going off on his plan. Just like how we, no, we can't do this again. It's like no, it's it's going to be unacceptable for them. And I mean Leicester. Compared to last season, it's gonna be. I feel like they're not as strong. 
in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. although they kept most of their players as well, it's just, I don't know. The jump between last season and this season, it should be higher. But, I mean, Man City, they, they literally have two teams worth of starting 11s. Yeah. It, it's hard to really bet against them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Man City actually win 1-0. I actually, wait. Ooh. I'm going to take that back. Because the Brazilian players from this pa- past international friendly competitions during the Argentina-Brazil game, they had to be yeah. quarantined because there's a few players from the Argentinian <coughs> side that failed the COVID protocols or mm-hmm. they didn't really follow them, which is why all of them yeah. Brazilian players had to be quarantined. And I think that might delay Aderson coming back into the side and maybe Gabriel yeah. Jesus too. I mean, Zach Steffen, he's all right, but against a lesser yeah. team, if they smell blood, I mean, they can be that thorn as Yush mentioned. So if the Brazilian players are back and they and Pep just slots them in, I would say a one nil for a city. But if they're out, I would say a two one to city. <laughs> they're going to win no matter what, okay. but I think it's going to be dependent on who who's playing. Yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm going to roll with the two one win for City, but you you said they'll win regardless. But how close it will be depends on who is uh, who's starting. But I like that we're both counting. Uh, we both got Man City winning this game, uh, so it should be a fun one. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that kind of wraps up uh, a longish uh, episode. I know we previewed a lot of things, recapped a, a ton of the transfer window, but we are like we said before, we are excited that the club football is back um, after this international break. But uh, no, no actual video on the YouTube side will be, uh, you know, because I was sick. I was not feeling the best. So no video on this week's episode. But you can obviously, obviously still catch the video or catch the podcast on YouTube if you would like. Um, and if you do follow this, uh, if you do listen to this podcast um, and you listen to an Apple um, Apple podcast, if you can leave us a rating or a review on there, that would be great. But like we say before, um, it's not mandatory. If you'd love to share this podcast with someone that is also interested in soccer or the Premier League, we definitely appreciate it we love the support anywhere we can get it you can also reach us at the premier at the premier pod on twitter and instagram ask us any questions you would like um and we'll make sure to answer them on any of the next future episodes so once again thank you all for the support um we definitely do appreciate it and we do see it um so thank you guys again for listening to us and yeah that kind of wraps up season four episode 123 of the premier pod Thank you guys so much for listening. That does it for us. Peace. Peace.